Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, this is Simon Brew, and a very warm welcome to a special episode of the Film Stories podcast. Come with me. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. In movies... Movies that had stories. And the story just sucks them in. This is just the beginning. Stories. We would be honored if you would join us. Hello and a very warm welcome to Film Stories with Simon Brew. I am Simon Brew. As always, that's absolutely everything you need to know about me. Ordinarily, well, and and this episode as well, the podcast is about the stories of films. We go behind the scenes of films a little bit. We talk about the development stories, production stories, release stories. And in fact, every now and then what we do is we get the filmmakers in to tell the stories themselves. And that's what's happening with this special episode of the podcast as well. I am a huge Ardman animation nerd, so this one is a real, real pleasure uh, for me that... Um, it, we're going to have a chat about 2009's new release, a Shaun the Sheep movie, colon, Farmageddon. What, the way this is going to work is I'm going to play you a clip and then you will hear my conversation with the film's co-directors, Will Beecher and Richard Phelan. Just to explain one or two other members of personnel whose name might pop up uh, throughout the conversation. Mark Burton, who is who, who worked on the stories and characters for Shaun the Sheep. Likewise, Nick Nick Park, uh, the legendary Nick Park, he's uh, he comes up as well. David Broxton is the outgoing managing director of Ardman Animation, and I think in the midst of it all too, we talk about Ardman co-founder Peter Lord, who directed films like co-directed films like uh, Chicken Run, and also he directed The Pirates in an Adventure with Scientists. In terms of Farmageddon, it's the follow-up to 2015's wonderful uh, Shaun the Sheep movie. The script for this one uh, was penned by John Brown and Mark Burton. Story came from Nick Park, characters by Mark Burton and Nick Park. I should also note at this point that um, Mark Burton was also the executive producer of the film. Casting wise, there is a voice cast, even though no one actually says any words. Those those mutterings and mumblings were done by Justin Fletcher, Mr. Tumble, bless him, uh, Joe Sugg, John Sparks, Kate Harbour, David Holt and Chris Morell. Here then is a clip from the movie and then I'm going to take you straight into the interview. It traveled light years through space to find intelligent life. Sean's back, but there's a new arrival in town who's a little alien. Meet Luke. So that was a clip from Farmageddon, a Shaun the Sheep movie, which I believe is the correct uh, the correct title. Is there a colon in there? Should there be a colon? Where are you on colons in movie titles? Mm. I'm going right. to say yes. All right, we'll go with a colon. So I'm joined by the directors, Will Beecher and Richard Phelan. So if Will, can you say hello so we can recognise your voice first? Certainly, I'm Will. Hi. And you must be... And I'm Rich. 
So you two now, this is your directorial debut, mm-hmm. um, and now your major international film directors. Um, and at the point this is being recorded, I think you've opened the film already in Germany. Yes, is that right? That's so right. have you had like the posh studio phone call with like the box office report on the opening <laughs> week? Have you, we have you, we, we, had, had, that we le- had the posh dinner with yeah. the studio heads. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah well, actually, we were in Paris at the weekend because the film just premiered in Paris. Yes. And uh, we went out with the heads of Studio Canal who financed the film. Yes. Took us for a lovely meal. It was very nice. They were very it? nice. They were very lovely. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Did they let you have dessert? I mean, how, how yeah, happy were that, they? That's at the indicator. I think so. Yeah. I mean, we, if they if they yeah. just get rid of you after a starter and a bit of bread, then no, you're in trouble, fantastic. aren't you? They were very nice. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, future films then. That's it. Major. <laughs> um, one of the things, I, I mean, I, I just love the reachability of this film. I'm going to come back to, to that quite a lot, um, just because I'm a boring nerd. And at all times, assume that I'm thick and I, that I know nothing, um, because I find the whole process of stop frame both fascinating and completely baffling. It's, it's just wonderfully simple and incredibly complicated to my boring old eyes. But with this one, even though there was clearly no compulsion to do a direct sequel, and it, you mark your card out very early, this is not a direct direct sequel I just wonder at the point you come in and say you're going to do this film there's still parameters presumably in place that there are still um, there are still requirements of the character there's still what you can do um, and I wonder if you can just start by just taking us through those yeah so um, we've both worked in the Shaun the Sheep series and on the first film so uh, Shaun has very defined sort of like uh, rules about his character and the universe he inhabits and so we have to sort of remain sort of true to those. But then at the same time, we were sort of like, we wanted to feel like the adventures of Shaun the Sheep rather than a direct sequel to the first one. So we were like, in the first film, he goes on this adventure where he leaves the farm to find his dad. And it's like, what could we bring to the farm? And so we talked around a lot. And then we realised that sort of isolated farmsteads are sort of like part of like UFO folklore. And so we started to sort of snowball from there. So we go, we could have crop circles, we could have secret government organisations. And then eventually we could go into outer space. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because the film, it's evolved, as you would expect, over the years that we've been working on it. But there are certain things, there are certain situations where we've put Sean in the story and it felt like it wasn't really working or the, the environment around it wasn't right. So sometimes he'll inform, you know, when we test the audience, mm. um, we test it with people in the crew. And there are just certain parameters around his character, the way he might react in a certain situation. We know if it's not quite true to him. So outer space works and a farm works, but there's something in between that that doesn't. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. So at what point, because um, I remember talking, because you, you were gracious enough to host us at Ardbird, and we came and had a look around and clearly stole lots of stuff. Uh, it's on eBay now. <laughs> oh, that's where that That's went. where it all went, yeah, that missing character in the final yeah. scene. But David Sproxton came in, who's, of course, the outgoing managing director of Ardbird, and he talked about how... Ardman tries to prepare people to direct but doesn't really think that you can you know you, you'll never know how to direct until you direct so can you talk through that process at the point where your ascension was uh, revealed to you and confirmed and and really what you've learned about that over the last year or two mm. do you, do you want, want to go first <laughs> um, well I guess we should the the backstory that you've heard briefly is that we both worked with Sean a lot and yes. also we've both come from a sort of film school background so I, I studied in a college of art making a short film of my own and I've always had that ambition to direct and make films and I think Rich is again it's it's a film school going to the National Film School and coming out with a desire to tell stories 
Um, the the way it happened when we were asked to direct the film together was that it was it was a sort of you know once in a lifetime. This is Ardman. They've not made that many feature films, no, so no. to be asked to take Shaun the Sheep and basically direct his his second film was an amazing opportunity, and we're both excited about being able to work together on it and create something new with it. Yeah, I think as well, like, um, for me personally, I joined Shaun the Sheep as a storyboard artist and then uh, I progressed to being a writer on the series and then I was head of story on Farmer's Llamas. It's like a sort of gradual increase of responsibility um, with sort of Shaun himself and then sort of when they said, would you like to direct this one? It's like, absolutely. And it's sort of like, I felt like um, I'd I'd learned enough of the process of the Ardman Studio system to go, okay, I know how this is going to work. And sort of the thing that I've sort of really enjoyed about directing is just working with all the crew because it's sort of like there's such an amazingly talented bunch. And so, like, me and Will will say, oh, how about this and how about that? And then they just go, leave it with us. And they sort of go and build these amazing sets or these really intricate puppets. And you just go, that's perfect. I remember Mark Burton saying about the first one it's like being given the keys to a Rolls Royce and yeah. being able to drive it and it is a bit like that because we're in we're surrounded by the most amazing resource mm. and um it's yeah it's it's incredible really the the level of knowledge that's already in the building you know before we start asking for things it, uh, the point you made about um about Arben don't make that many features certainly in terms of stop frame the vast majority of them as well have been and I'm not saying you're not but they've been directed by Arben royalty mm. you know you're you're following you know the Peter Lords and the Nick Parks and uh, yeah, Richard Starr's like on that one as well you know yeah. um what kind of resource is that for you to tap into because presumably it comes a point where you can't be intimidated by that and you've just got to pillage them as much as possible well, yes, and they were very um, forthright with ideas and suggestions for us in a good way. You know, they, they respected if we didn't, if for some reason we didn't necessarily think it would work or didn't agree with a particular idea, they respected that. But um, they have sort of nurtured us. We've worked, we've both worked with um, with all those directors over the years. So they sort of, um, you know, we have a good working relationship. They watch the film every three months or so, give us notes, and, and mm. we would... D- gratefully accept all the ones we really liked and, and the others <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the same on every process so like for example on early man uh, nick would screen it to all the directors and then they give notes and so it's like what makes the story stronger or truer to what you were trying to do and then you go that's perfect because even the storytelling process we often sort of brainstorm hundreds of jokes looking for the sort of five best but it's like we have to go through all the other 95 to find them so it's like Pete and Dave and Richard and Nick and Mark give us sort of like these really detailed notes. It's like they're all trying to make the film stronger, but like sometimes it's sort of they'll clash or they won't quite sort of line up correctly. And so we'll, we'll cherry pick what would work the best and then sort of infuse it with how we want to do it. I'm going round, one, one of the most fascinating things I think in your facility, again to an outsider, is this is this CBB board which oh. I gather is the the holdover from the DreamWorks day that could be better that oh. during I think that's what it is that still in existence the whole idea that during the film 
you you isolate. Why am I explaining this to you? I mean, crying here. But, but uh, d- d- what's this board? <laughs> what's this board? What's we knew nothing yeah, yeah. about this. But this board, where throughout the process you pick up the shots that, as I understand it, um, that you you just want to come back to and just have another look at and something like that. And mm. um, I, I mean, I'm fascinated. You're just on some, uh, the minutiae of something like that that you've been on both sides of that process now. That presumably you've put things on the board. Now you're in a position of you've got to decide where to prioritise, what mm-hmm. to fix. Yeah. And I just wonder if you could zero in on something like that. Uh, you know, the, 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 because as I understand it, you spend half the time on the floor and then half the time in yeah. the tour and just fixing lots of stuff. Can you just explain that a bit for us? Yeah, we should both talk about it because we probably come at it from slightly different angles. But the fact is with any stop motion animation where you you put all the emphasis on the planning of it because when you come to the animator actually doing the performance frame by frame it's very very hard to change something once it's finished so we try to get each shot ready shot ready with storyboards and acting it out and doing lots of conversations with the animator because maybe they'll do a shot and it will take a day or maybe it'll take two weeks or maybe it'll take four weeks not every shot lands exactly as we want it and it is always something you have to see in context but there's so much detail within every shot Mm. and with a stop motion film where there's no dialogue we really rely on that performance to to get across the idea you know the bigger idea yeah i would say like we've had some shots where they've they've come in early on and you think i don't know if that sells it just yet and so they've gone on the list but then like once the shots around them start to sort of appear and then like you can sort of refine the pacing of the scene then you go actually no they're fine so they go off the cbb but it's just the ones where you go Clearly now we need to clarify a, a key story point yeah. and the, the original version isn't quite landing it. So we'll just go back to the same animator and go, it, come and watch the whole scene so you can see how it fits into context and now how we're going to have to sort of slightly refine it and change it so that they understand why we're doing it rather than just go do it again but better because it's yeah. sort of like really nebulous and vague. It's like this is why it needs to be different. Yeah, it is subjective as well. So, yeah. you know, I might see a shot that... that I'm not happy with and Rich will see it and go oh no that's fine that works and we have that process where you know we're working on a tight schedule we can't redo everything we want to so it really does become about what really what really makes the scene or breaks it I spoke to a few people over the years who've co-directed and they, they've got various different methods to how to deal with the moments where they don't agree with each other. So I've heard people say that um, they, they both have to agree or it's completely out. Someone's got the power of veto or you just go off into the car park and have a rumble or something like that. <laughs> and so what's yours? I mean, were, were you two working closely together before? Are you just Were you just thrown relatively randomly together? I don't know. How, how did you two come together and then how did you find a working methodology between the two of you? So we've both worked at Ardman for yeah. quite a long time, and so um, it wasn't. So we've we've known each other and worked on the same projects, although not in the same departments. Um, the the really important part is there's two and a half years of prep to shooting it, and so every sort of uh, debate and discussion takes place there. So like, um, there's moments where you've think, gone like, I think it should be this way, and I've done the same thing, but it's like. You sort of it makes you justify your choices and why you think it should be the way it is. But we also pitch it to our producer Paul uh, and the writer Mark to see. To, they're like our sounding board to go. Does that make sense? Is Mediators. That right? mm, yeah. yeah. Mediators. <laughs> see, we're getting back to the rumble when, in the car when, park when, now. When, yeah. when we disagree, Paul comes in and sort of smooths things over between us. Or he just yeah. goes, "No, that's too expensive. Both <laughs> ideas are wrong. Yeah, you're both wrong. <laughs> you're both wrong." Um, <laughs> We do, yeah. We, uh, we we spent at the beginning. We spent a lot of time in the same room 
making decisions together and a lot of the time they lined up you know when we're looking at the visual development or the story we generally had an agreement I think we've got similar aesthetic in terms of comedy and performance and that kind of thing and yeah it was just sometimes um, it just came down to personal choice what colour should that be red or green I like red you like green yeah, um, all likes blue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing really broke it, and um, I don't think we ever really fell out. There was, there was oh. no. Um, I know. could invent some clickbait stories if you want. I mean, I'm quite happy to. But but and then they fought. Yeah, they, they did. Yeah, yeah. Off and they, they but then, it, because in theory, the higher up you go, the lonelier it is, as well. I mean, that's generally the theory in any business or something like that. And here yeah. you are at the top. I mean, you, you've you know you've been yeah. like prefect yeah, yeah. in school, haven't you? It's that's, just, you know. that's a good point. I mean, that outweighs the those moments where we don't agree are far outweighed by the 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 sort of support we have for each other because yeah. there are so many things you know not every decision is easy and it's great having someone to bounce off for ideas yeah. and and to share this huge workload which without two directors would probably break one or take you know 10 years to complete mm. There's, can you just talk briefly about because you say there's no post-production or there's little post-production and editing that most of it's done in preparation but conversely over the last uh, the last few films Ardman's just had a very slight and subtle increasing reliance on CG for certain moments within that so has that in any way changed the editing process of the film has it given you a little bit more time in post-production to effectively edit your film the edit because um, it's it's basically like a live action as you shoot. Yeah, 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 yeah. So in stop motion, it's the other way around. So all the editing is done beforehand. So our editor Sim cut together the film over two and a half years. Yeah. So that when we start production, we go to see the animators. Like we've tried every permutation of an idea, and then because we knew it was going to be uh, a sci-fi film, we we had to have CG elements to embellish moments or sort of like give one of our characters has like intergalactic powers. Yes. And so, like, um, we would talk about how we're going to do that. Really early on, we had sort of technical directors come in and some elements we previewed as well. And so um, it's a sort of very long process before we even begin shooting. So all of that is done beforehand. And then whilst it's being shot, our um, VFX house are R&Ding and sort of, like, testing everything. So the spaceship, there are moments where it is CGI, but they 3D scanned the original sort of built sort of prop spaceship and things like that yeah I don't I don't think in a way it hasn't given us more time or flexibility I mean our editing because it's a shot digitally yeah compared to on film we do see shots straight away we don't have to send them off to London so our editor is working on them real time um, but at the end you know it's always a rush to get it finished and having CG in it it was an added layer on top wasn't yeah. it it sort of enhanced it so we still had to shoot everything that was there um, if anything, we just had more sort of approvals in yeah. the process because we had to approve the look of the effects on top of the animation. When I came around Ardman, uh, the posters of the films that were that were being shown at whatever your film night or film club, you bound to have some secret kind of Dead Poets Society style name for that somewhere along the line. But it was stuff like The Thing um, yeah. and things like that. And is, it, is there anything to be read into that? Or is you just you a bunch of movie nerds just fancied seeing films like The Thing and kind of like harder edge sci-fi stuff well we, we tried to it is a family film but we tried to sort of take references from a lot of different sci-fi elements so we screened like the thing a lot of john carpenter and sort of like paul verhoeven sort of films yeah. from the 80s but then um because we also screened arrival which i don't think is sort of like kid, interesting kid friendly but yeah. at the same time it's like it's just sort of trying to sort of tap into sort of like 
sci-fi as a genre and go yeah. it's the big questions and mm. that sort of like it's the scale of these things that make you go sci-fi is quite awe-inspiring it can be quite intimate and at the same time it's just sort of like sort of colossal sort of, sort of scapes of space just, yeah. just sort of trying to take from both uh, and it says something that the crew loved it so much that you know they were they're going to sit through two separate lunch breaks to watch the films yeah. because you you know there's too much work to do to stop and down tools but we've done it on every film we've made at Arman. There's always those films that sort of we reference or influence us, and it's just really nice for a, for a film studio to to look to put up on our big screen the films that we love. You talk about the big questions and taking influence from big sci-fi movies. I, I, it would be remiss of me not to mention that you you have one of cinema's finest pick and mix sequences in the film. <laughs> Thank Does you. that count as one of those moments where you sat there and think? Because I don't want to spoil the exact sequence, but the logistics of it, as I looked at it, were just baffling. It's just like just trying to get everything. Was that one of those moments where you just like great idea at the time, and then you just. Uh, we've got to do it. We, yeah. I think we're privileged in that position as directors that we work <laughs> with the writer. The and it's it. the producer who, who actually, Paul, he's so, he, he's so encouraging for those big complex ideas if they're funny and if they make it a better film. He'll really encourage us. So we didn't hold back at all. I think we just, what are the funniest things we can do in this supermarket? And then we went to town and, yeah, it was our crew, unfortunately, that suffered the burden of making it all happen. Yeah. But, um, but they they do you know they're amazing at resourcefulness and that whole scene took a year to shoot on its own just just two animators yeah it wasn't just a wheeze to get some sweets on expenses <laughs> or something like that no but we did have some at the rap party we had our, our own free pick and mix um, I'm sure I, I, I mean I fully appreciate both of you worked with with and on Sean the Sheep projects for, for a long time and in terms of the sheer reachability and the resonance of this as a character one of the things um, that really comes across for me is how Sean transcends language uh, without wishing to go all pretentious but also transcends um, disability as well that there's an absolute accessibility to this character um, to a point where it's a kind of movie, a movie and TV character who can be appreciated by anyone, even if they don't usually. What kind of feedback do you get from that, and how do you, how does that inform the decisions that you're making, putting something together? Because there are sci-fi things. This could have taken a slightly scarier view, but it's a scarier look. Um, but it's clearly just as beautifully accessible. Hmm. Uh, I th- well, in terms of feedback, like we have people come up to us and tell us like. My children love Shaun the Sheep, or I grew up watching Shaun the Sheep, or my grandparents watch Shaun the Sheep, which is really wonderful. Um, I think it's more just because the way we make it is we just sit around and think of ideas from our own lives and then sort of tell these really sort of like very personal anecdotes about things that have happened to us. And the sort of at the core of it was the honesty because we then just translate that into Shaun's adventures and go, okay, let's try and have Shaun the Sheep do that. And it's it's that that sort of transcends around because everyone relates to him from sort of like from Japan to the UK it's like everyone sees themselves in him or they see themselves in Bitzer or the farmer there's a sort of family dynamic that everyone can relate to Mm. and it's sort of like we just stay true to that and then that sort of is what translates around the world yeah yeah I mean there there is a sort of moral code to Sean in that he's he's eternally naughty and cheeky but he's really good-hearted and actually all the characters in it there's no one that really isn't they're all they're all honest and pure in their you know, the look of the world. Um, 
And by the fact that you were uh, watching Paul Verhoeven films in, um, in preparation for this, are we expecting the third one to be like Sean does Total Recall or are you going a bit more Robocop? I mean, I'll take the exclusive. <laughs> There's a bit of Robocop in this, There's actually. There's a bit of Robocop there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we've done that. Can't yeah, do that. Can't so it's Total that. Recall then? Is that what I'm taking <laughs> away? Total Recall it is. Gents, thank, congratulations on the film and thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. And there you have it. Farmageddon is in UK cinemas from the 18th of December 2019. I I really like the film an awful lot. Um, I'll be back soon with with your regular episode of Film Stories. If you want to keep up to date with the Film Stories project, you can find me on Twitter at Simon Brew. You can find find Film Stories at Film Stories Pod. At the Film Stories website, where you can find out about both Film Stories and Film Stories Junior print magazines and order copies is www.filmstories.co.uk you can find us at facebook crikey this is a list isn't it facebook.com slash film stories online at youtube youtube.com slash film stories also if you've enjoyed this podcast i hugely appreciate it if you could just take the time to subscribe at your podcast repository of choice and ideally leave me a really glowing review this is an independent operation and word of mouth really is the lifeblood for film stories we pay people rather that for for writing and creating material rather than spending all of our money on expensive marketing materials um, as a consequence word of mouth is just a godsend to us thank you so much for listening thank you for supporting i'll be back again soon with another bunch of film stories you all take care 